Coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change. I thought as long as I, I let him beat me up in the living room and not around the kids that I was protecting my kids in, um, but I still got failure to protect because I didn't follow through with my restraining order. So the next day they came and took all three of my kids. And, um, you know, I, I had one of my daughters for like nine months and I got to have all three of them. So basically for nine months I had them. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery Podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassengame, and I am your host. Today we have Markeisha Dryden. Markeisha Dryden's story is one that truly shows that we do recover. Being born to parents who struggled with substance abuse, Markeisha was the youngest of three kids raised primarily by her grandmother. After being introduced to crystal meth by a boyfriend, her story includes having multiple children, jail, check fraud, abuse, multiple cases with child protective services, losing parental rights, and placing a child for adoption. After attending 20 recovery programs, something finally changed for Markeisha. Today, she is happy, healthy, and sober, and she's been able to begin restoring relationships with her children and her husband. Wow, this was a really heavy story. I think that talking about what happens to children who are involved and, and, and parents who have children when they're struggling with substance abuse and when they do get involved with the child protective system, I think is a really important piece because this does happen. People do lose their children as a result of their, their drinking and using and they can recover. And Markeisha, if, if Markeisha can do it, anyone can do it. Her story is incredible in many ways, incredibly sad and incredibly uplifting. I hope this episode is helpful for any mother or father out there who is struggling with the consequences of their using and its results on their family. All right, episode 124, let's do this. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We're a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. So you got sober right as the world was shutting down. Um, your sobriety date is May 12th, 2020. Correct. And uh, so that's that is quite a time to put down the drinks and the drugs and all of that and, and face the world. How many treatment facilities have you had you been to when you got sober in May? This would have been my 20th one. Well, that would have been my 20th one. And that included like outpatient, inpatient, uh, detox, uh, residential. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> What's the longest period of time uh, that you've had sober? Almost at my five-year mark, I relapsed. And when was when was that? That was in 2012, or no, 2000 and almost 2017. Okay, so you had a you've had a significant period of sobriety before. Mm -hmm. So you have something to draw on, which you know sometimes that can be really helpful of knowing that it can be good and that it can be sustainable. Um, having that experience, 
I want to get a little bit into what it was like growing up for you. You have lived substance use disorder, alcoholism, drug addiction has been in your life, in your face since you were a young girl. Can you tell us a bit about what it was like for you growing up? Growing up, so I had to call my aunt to get a little bit of history because I don't remember a lot of it. But um, I know that when I was like three years old, I came to Sacramento and I was born in San Bernardino. And, you know, my mom and dad had some um, dependency issues. I think it was crack cocaine back then. So I don't really remember um, us being taken from them, but my grandmother was like a correctionals officer and all these things. And, you know, she was our CPS back in the day. So I do remember like being young and coming here and my mom and dad not being there. And when my grandmother kind of started letting us go back to my mom, it wasn't like long-term, you know, it was always on the weekends. It was always, you know, we went to church like every day, it felt like. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we had a rehearsal for this, rehearsal for that. But, um, you know, I remember it just being like me and my brother. And then at a point in time, my cousins started to come or, you know, as far as I can remember. And I just remember being with grandma and it was really strict, you know, and, and as I think of it now, you know, she was protecting us from this world. You know, she was a correctional officer, so she knew like how scary it was. And, um, you know, and then I remember my mom coming into my life. I don't, I think I was like in preschool. I had to be like in preschool or something like that. And that was, I guess, her first chance that my grandma gave her, you know, to, we were doing overnight, but we still were at grandma's and, um, and then she gave us back. And then uh, it was then, now I know I built my first resentment <laughs> with my grandma because <laughs> I knew change was going to happen. Um, I didn't know why my grandma was so strict, but I knew, um, you know, things are just going to be different. And um, my mom parented us out of guilt, you know, because I mean, a lot of it, not having us and stuff. So I kind of learned how to take advantage um, of situations and things at an early age. Uh, I couldn't do that with my grandma. My grandma was like, if one person gets in trouble, everybody gets in trouble because if you didn't come tell, you all got a whooping, not just one person. So I knew that wasn't happening with my mom. And my mom was, you know, of course, recovering from her stuff and, you know, just trying to do what she could with the, you know, try to do the best she could with what she had. But um, we had this, she was with these men, you know, that were very abusive and and verbally abusive and physically and stuff. And, um, you know, my mom still tried to put a smile on her face and, and, just be mom. And uh, I had her sisters, my aunts, you know, which were a lot of support. You know, I, I didn't understand it then, but, you know, they were always pulling for each other. You know, family, that's, that was family back then. You know, they we always had each other's backs. And, um, and I remember like my first addictive uh, thing was my mom would tell me to go get her cigarette. And I, you know, start off like, oh, go get me a cigarette. And then I'd be like, oh, do you want me to light it? And she didn't say no. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, then I just start bringing her cigarettes and having them lit. And, you know, it was, she never said anything. So I was like, this is cool. You know, I choked a couple of times and I was like, whoa, this is head rush. So <laughs> kind of wanted to do that all the time. And, um, but I never asked her permission. You know, I never asked um, was it wrong? And, and she never kind of said it was wrong, but you know, that was just me again, taking advantage of, um, something that she was allowing me to do, which was probably bad, but, you know, I was just like, okay, there's no consequence. This is probably the right thing to do. You know, I'm helping my mom is how I saw it. And, and, you know, I remember my mom just being in a lot of domestic violence relationships. And, um, the longest one was my stepdad. And, uh, I just always remember being there, like whenever it happened and my, my brother and my sister, you know, they were the oldest, so they weren't really there. So, you know, I remember wiping a lot of her tears and I remember, you know, um, trying to protect her the best way I could. And, uh, but she didn't leave. So it became a norm, you know, that when they fought or whatever, you know, just to make sure mom was okay. And 
she would send me with notes to go to the store to get her stuff, you know, because she was all beat up and everything. And the notes worked back then. So I would go get her Boone's Farm and I would go get her a pack of Newports and a Pepsi. And um, <clears throat> and I'd come back, you know, and that's when I first start to like learn the forge signatures. And, and, you know, mom would send me with a note. So I was like, okay. So when I got in trouble in school or anything, you know, I forged my mom's signatures and she was my cafeteria lady. <laughs> she started off as a yard duty, but she ended up being my cafeteria lady. And I knew she was at work. So I'd be like, don't bother my mom. I'll just forge her signature. You know, no need to bother her. You know, she's busy at work. And I would run home to delete the messages that they left um, on our voicemail. So she wouldn't find out I was in trouble, you know, so I guess in a, in a sort, you know, I had some structure and then it got dysfunctional and, um, you know, I kind of just grew up with kind of just getting away with stuff, you know, and when I went to certain family members' houses, you know, there were rules and I had, I had to abide by those rules in order to be there. So I kind of just played, played it how I wanted to play it, I guess, you know, I knew over here I couldn't do certain things. I knew at home I would get away with things. I knew at school that I could forge signatures and I can get away with that. You know, so I kind of just ran with life, just not really caring, I guess, about consequences. Yeah, it sounds like you actually cared about them enough to make sure they didn't happen, <laughs> that you didn't experience them and you were very successful with that. Did the domestic violence make its way to you and your siblings and or did you experience any other kind of traumas in, in your childhood? Well, we never got like whoopings. My mom never whooped us. She just liked that parenting out of guilt. You know, she just, she would take away like the things that we liked the most. And for me, that was a lot because I liked everything because I was getting away with everything. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to, you know, and I kind of just learned to be dishonest. You know, if mom said um, to not tell grandma that she got into a fight or an argument, I didn't tell her. So I learned to keep my mom's secrets. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just... I would lie for her, you know, because I knew she was hurting, but I, I just knew that if grandma knew, then I was like, maybe she thought we were going to get taken away from her. So, but we never got like whoopings or anything. And uh, my mom had got rid of that domestic violence relationship. And uh, I remember going to visit my dad at like 12 and I had never met him. And uh, he came up to give me a hug and it's like, get off me. And he's like, I'm your dad. I'm like, whatever. You're not my dad. You know, I just had this chip on my shoulder, you know, because um I don't know who this man is hugging me. You know, I don't know who you are. So um, when he came, my mom was like, she's going to get rid of the other one to bring dad back into our lives. And um, he was using, obviously, you know, my mom was just like, I guess, so busy trying to, I don't know if she was covering up for them, but I knew, well, now I know that like she knew about what was going on, you know, but she thought that was important that we have our dad in our lives. But he was very um, verbally abusive. Like I watched my mom stab him. I watched... Um, them getting the fights and uh you know it was just like our friends our friends got to see all this stuff and um you know I, I really didn't have friends over I didn't know if mom and dad were gonna fight and so I was always gone I was always trying to spend a night at my friend's house you know to to feel to escape it kind of and um I just remember you know there's always like a a brother sister like chain of command and <laughs> uh I remember like always getting in trouble in school so I couldn't like partake in Disneyland. I remember not being able to do those things. And, uh, and so I was just like, screw it. You know, I had to be at home to protect my mom is how I thought she needed me there more than me going on a trip. And I kind of just realized that like, <laughs> as I was saying it, um, you know, I, I had, a, I had a, I had to be there for her, you know, and um, she was hurting and, and not to mention, I couldn't tell anybody that this stuff was going on. I mean, I'm pretty sure my aunts knew and everything, you know, but family just had each other, you know, I'd go to my aunts or, you know, so you couldn't tell anyone that your mom was being abused? 
like my grandma, because, you know, probably my grandma would take us back, you know, or feel like my mom wasn't ready or she gave us back too soon. And, and my grandma was like really, really strict. And um, and so I had this godfather that I would go over to his house, you know, and I knew him ever since I was little. And, you know, I always seen a lot of women over there, but I never I never knew what it was about. And um, he had all these kids and stuff. And that was the first person who took advantage of me. And I felt like, you know, he watched me mature and he watched me develop and stuff. And it was like, boom, he hit it. You know, it was just like, oh, well, if I do this, then you can have that. You know, and I was just like, okay, you know, whatever. You know, and it started off as like little things, just like showing my breast or doing things like that, like not actually him touching me. And uh, I had an aunt that she was with a man. I guess she was completely blinded by the fact that he was doing stuff, doing stuff he shouldn't have been doing. So that was like towards, I was like in middle school, high school, kind of. You mentioned a trial. What was the trial that you said you were going through? We had to go to trial, like to court against to court against him. Which was my aunt's. Um, oh, the boyfriend. Yeah, because we kind of like I remember when I told I told my sister's boyfriend I think, and so when we went to school, like he would say things like, "Oh, if you don't um, do your chores, then you know I'm not going to do this," or if my cousin didn't do these whatever with him, then he was going to tell her he was going to do stuff like to her. And so when we went to school that morning, um, the police like. They asked us, like, you know, well, when does he try these things, you know? And and um, we said, usually when we come home, you know, or my cousin was more or less speaking. I was just the one that kind of witnessed that and had her back, you know, and wanted her to say something. And um, so usually when we'd call home, like, for our chores or whatever, he'd be like, yeah, you need to do this and that. So they recorded him. So when we, at the time that it was supposed to happen, we didn't show up there, but the police did because they had that recording while we were at school. So they told us to stay at school, wow. you know, and um, so that's how he got caught. And then we had trial after that, you know, and because um, of course he wanted to try to act like he didn't know what we were talking about and all this stuff. So we had to go to court and, and things like that. And so, yeah, that was, that was, you know. How did it feel going to court and him getting in trouble for these things and you standing up for him, especially in contrast with your godfather, where this other person, you had an understanding that these things weren't right and that you could get in trouble for these things. And you were seeing that in action. Did it give you pause about your godfather at all or any thoughts about that? No, because those things weren't happening to me. He wasn't touching me. So I didn't think that what he was doing was so bad. And like, I was getting money and I was getting, you know, to smoke weed and I was getting like freedom, you know, I was getting a teen, I was getting a whole new freedom. And my cousin was just trapped in the house, like having to do these things because my aunt worked. So it was totally different. Like, and she, she took care of my cousins and, you know, so it was just, to, it was a totally different, like, I didn't think that it was that bad what he was doing because he wasn't touching me and he wasn't, I wasn't going to let him touch me and he wasn't going to have, you know, and it was kind of like, I felt like I had an upper hand because I was getting something for these things. This guy just kind of sat at home and drank all day. And, you know, every day she came home, she had to do these things, you know, unless he would do this or do that. And so when I moved in there, I kind of felt like I freed her, you know, and, um, but I also didn't want to stay there. So um, I felt like I had more options than she did. When you went after high school, what did, you know, after high school ended and you the trial ended, where did you go? Were you using at that time? So I was at my godfather's house and still I would go there for summers, you know, and I would go there, you know, to basically just get away. And I thought it was like a safe place at first because there were a bunch of kids there, you know, and if I watched the kids, if I did these things, you know, I got money that way. But then like once he, once I started developing, that's when the sexual stuff like start to... Mm. So I felt like in my head, like I said, as long as he wasn't touching me, whatever, like I was okay. And um, 
you know, I kind of stayed in that environment and he would like give me weed and he would give me like all these things, you know, and then I would just go home to my mom and be like, here, mom, you know, it's kind of like here, you know, this, this should help you, you know, or this, I, I bring her money. And she never asked me like where I got it from. She never asked like, who gave you this, you know? And um, so again, I thought it was okay. And then my aunt, she found out about where I was at and she's like, no, he is not someone that you need to be around. So I went to Atlanta, Georgia and um, I went there for a year and You know, I remember like throwing away all my promiscuous clothes, all the little hoochie mama stuff. I remember like, oh, it's going to be a fresh start, you know, and uh, and she was always like the favorite aunt. You know, everybody she didn't have kids at the time, but um, everybody loved to go to Auntie Vicky's house because, you know, you can go to Auntie Vicky's house and you can make money over there. You can clean her house or you can do all this. It was always like a, you know, a a game changer. It was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go over there and help her do this or that, you know, and you're going to get money. <laughs> so, And I had already been like on the, I guess that road of um, wanting better things or wanting being the, the youngest child, you know, so I really never really got anything. So I was like, this is my own independence, you know, I'm going to do this. And, you know, um, she's always been the favorite aunt, you know, and, and it was just like, she kind of was just the aunt who always had the nice house. She always had the nice car. She worked for the companies and we went to like, uh, summer jams and wrestling and it was always just like an adventure going to auntie vicky's house so uh that was cool you know so i felt like she saved me and my mom after so when my dad had came back my mom kicked my dad out because my brother had found him smoking drugs in the garage so our life kind of went to shambles after that so that's when i like always was at my godfather's house and my mom and my brother were always together and my sister had moved off to her boyfriend's house like everything was just like so divided at that point you know and um I felt like this man since I have known him for most of my life since I was like in preschool you know and stuff and uh I felt like he was helping me you know but then I felt like I was trapped there because I really didn't have a home to go back to because my mom had kicked my dad out and he was like financially my mom worked for the school district and she had sued target or something so we got this nice house you know but that's when my dad's addiction like i guess really took off you know and we moved to a, a different neighborhood and it was just known for drugs and stuff and you know i just seen a lot of fighting and a lot of everything so when my mom kicked him out it was like i felt like i had to stay over there with him you know i felt like i had to learn these these tools to survive Cause I don't ever remember like really asking my mom for like money to go over there and stuff. I just, I had my own money, you know, and it didn't matter what I had to do because it just became like a norm. Yeah. You were always, you're always in survival mode. It sounds like, you know, you it was survival since, since the beginning, you know, it's always been survival. You got into a relationship with a man who was fresh out of prison and ended up with four children of his and a crystal meth addiction. Can you tell me a little bit about that man and what happened with that story and those children? So um, when I came back from Atlanta, my aunt's job like ended up not working out. So we came back to Atlanta and, um, you know, my little smoking weed before then, I think I tried some ecstasy before I went up there. Like my addiction, I realized it picked up to a whole different, like, you know, I met this man fresh out of jail you know, he was the love of my life. You know, I was told myself, I'm going to have kids by this man. You know, I'm going to be your wife. You know, this was all in my head. <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? He's just getting out of jail. He didn't care probably. I mean, he didn't even know what I was thinking. I didn't care to share it with him. You know, it's like, I love you and you're going to love me kind of. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this was my chance to myself, like that I'm going to make my own family and I'm not going to be like my mom and I'm going to be so much different. And um, I'm not going to do these things if I have kids and wishful thinking, I guess. And um. So, you know, I was 19 when I came back and um, I got with him in 2002 and 
obviously there were a lot of signs uh, that that were there, but I didn't see them as red flags because I also seen my mom go through stuff and she didn't leave my dad. She didn't leave my stepdad. She stayed. So I thought that was love. That no matter what, even if these men are hitting you, even if these men are uh, verbally abusing you in front of people, you stay with them. I'm like, how else does 20 year marriages last? They stay, you know? <laughs> right, right. These women are not with these guys for all these years and they just, because they ran away the first time, you know? So I don't know where I had all these thoughts and ideas, but that was what I learned. You know, I thought that was love. And um, so I had my son with him in 2004 and, um, you know, he was, he had some other girl who was in jail and stuff. And I was just like, ah, whatever. She's not better than me. You know, in my head, I, I just, wow. And, um, you know, his family manufactured drugs and, you know, I didn't even care about his past. I didn't even care that he was in jail for five years for shooting his mom in the hand. Like none of that even rang a bell to me, like all these red flags that I have. It's like, um, you know, she must've like, done something. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, and it's like, you just, um, so it was a lot of, you know, the upbringing that I had just, you know, and, and my mom was with a lot of abusive men and, they were part of, they were in gangs and all these things. So he was a part of a gang and he was cool, you know, and he was, you know, he made his own money. I didn't care if he had a job a day in his life. I don't care if he didn't pass, he didn't finish past the third grade. None of that mattered to me. Like, who cares? He just needs someone to love him. And I was going to be the one. So <laughs> I had my son, um, 2004, my first, um, I didn't have anything like with TP. I smoked weed with my son. And, you know, I remember like, TPS saying something about it, but they didn't really like follow up. It was just like, oh, I needed it to eat. And so it was like, cool, you know, and he was cheating on me and I was pregnant again. And, you know, just going back and forth with these girls, this girl and, um, you know, fought the girl and did all this stuff to try to keep this man. And, and you know, it's just, just like he didn't care, you know, that it was his way or the highway. And um, 2000, 2006, I got pregnant with my daughter and that was my first experience with CPS. And she was 17 days old when they came to my house. And, um, uh, they told me if I didn't leave my home, you know, and get away from him, then they would take my kids. And, you know, it was a Saturday at nine o'clock and I was like, who are you and, and what do you want? And, you know, I didn't think I had to test for these people. And uh, that was my first presumptive positive. And I didn't know if you didn't test that it was a presumptive positive. And, you know, and in my family, no one talked about CPS. So I didn't feel like I had the proper, you know, I was like, I don't, you guys are nothing, you know, whatever. You're not the police, but really they were kind of like a form of police for your children. And um, so my daughter was taken when she was 17 days old, you know, and that was my first program that I had to go to. And, you know, I was so busy focused on him and, and who he was with and who was in my house and just totally lost um, focus of, you know, why I was in the program in the first place. You know, I left a lot of programs like turning 21. I was like, oh, I don't need to spend my birthday in rehab. You know, I'm going to leave, you know, and I just kind of was focused, you know, on, on every time, you know, the, the courts gave me a treatment plan, you know, I'm like, I don't have mental health issues. I don't have this, you know, you guys just took my kids. How am I? And I'm just in a program with women and children. And I'm like, how am I supposed to be happy because I'm in here and you guys have my, you know, I was just focused on all that. I was pointing out people's what they should have been doing right and all this, just not even grasping the fact that, you know, the time was ticking and my kids were at stake. You know, I just totally forgot because I was so busy, like denying everything. I'm not an addict. You know, I don't, I don't need to do this. I can do outpatient. And they gave me a chance to do outpatient and I end up like getting loaded. And so I found out I was pregnant again with my third, my third daughter. Nope. Sorry. Third child, second daughter in <laughs> 2007. I had to write this down because so many kids I have. Um, but <laughs> And, you know, I was thinking that this child would fix him, you know, that we would, you know, we had a, or while our kids were still in CPS, um, 
you know, this was our redemption baby. And, you know, we're going to, I was going to fix him and I was going to do both of our recovery programs. And, you know, um, he didn't have to get right. As long as I got the kids back, then he would be able to come back home. And he was already banned from having services because he wasn't doing any, he was still out there getting loaded. He was still out there doing whatever. And, um, you know, I just, I just kept leaving programs. I was so worried about him. You know, I needed, if I wasn't there, how was he going to survive? You know, and, uh, I ended up going home with that child because I was actually in a program. I went to the program in, what was it? Uh, 2000, I had her too. So 2000, the end of 2006, beginning of 2007, um, I went to this program, Alpha Oaks and, um, I went there and I completed that program and I was like three centimeters dilated. So they're like, you got to go, you know, cause we license for children. <laughs> but they're, they're, so, you know, if you have that baby here, you know, we're not, uh, you're not protected or whatever. So I had to go to like the shelter and everything to get housing. And, uh, and I remember um, them dropping me off and I remember being so scared, you know, I remember like, Oh my God, I have to stay here for two days to get a homeless voucher so I could get housing. And, um, you know, I was so, I was, I was frightened, but you know, I, I did it. And, you had to be gone in the daytime and just show up there at night. And, um, you know, I was trying so hard just like, cause the, the shelter was like right across from where I stayed. So I just try to keep myself busy and like, man, I want to go get loaded so bad, you know, but I had this baby and I'm like, man, this is my only time. Like I, I, I'm almost, you know, I'd been clean the whole pregnancy, you know, and well, half the pregnancy cause I got into the program and you know, I was like, man, so I was like fighting the urge, you know, and I just try to stay out and just be there at nighttime, be there at seven o'clock so I can get this bed so I can get the voucher for two days. And that two days seemed like a month because <laughs> I was around a lot of people that I didn't know. And um, so, you know, I ended up getting my housing. I ended up getting my kids back. Um, so my daughter that was taken when she was 17 days old, my son was two at the time. I got my daughter back when she was a year and a half. So I had these three kids. I have these three kids, you know, and dad's still not in the picture. Dad's still not helping. Dad's still, you know, and I'm still trying to tell him, just let me get through this program, you know, and we'll be a family again. Or I was mandated not to be around him because he wasn't doing any services. And, you know, I would sneak to go um, on my passes, you know, I would sneak to go let him see the kids. And, um, you know, I remember telling my kids, don't tell them that you've seen daddy, you know, don't tell them because that's a form of deviating, you know, on your past. And, um, I started to do like what my mom did to me, had try to have them lie for me, you know? And I was like, don't tell this. You can't mention anything about your dad. And I would sneak him in, you know, at night, like in this program and the office was like right across from my apartment. And I didn't care, you know, I, he had to be a part of his kids' lives. You know, that was important to me because my dad wasn't a part of mine. Didn't matter what he wasn't doing. This was best for my kids. So I ended up graduating that program. I was there for a year. Um, I ended up getting my own place. Uh, they furnished my whole place, everything, and still the same rules applied. He is not to be there. So um, we, I had gotten sick, or me and all the kids were sick, and I'm, I'm like, I need diapers. It's your job to bring. The, you you should be doing this at least. You know, least you can do is bring us some diapers. And um, you know, he was still out cheating and stuff. And so he came to the apartment, and he was like, I'm moving in here. And I was like, No, you can't. You know, I will lose the kids. I'm so close to having the case closed. Um, I think I was like a month from having my case closed. And um, so he beat me up really bad. So I got failure to protect my kids because number one, he wasn't supposed to be there. And I allowed my abuser, you know, they told me I had to do domestic violence classes on top of parenting and on top of testing. And it was 52 weeks. And I'm like, why doesn't he have to do any of this? So, you know, again, it's like, I'm, I got abused, you know, why isn't he, you know, they're like, well, we can't find him or whatever. And so I'm like, well, I have his address. And they're like, well, how do you have his address? And, you know, just, I was, I was just, totally telling on myself. <laughs> and um, they're like, well, you're not supposed to have any contact with him. And I'm like, well, 
you know, so when he came and beat me up, they knew I was having contact with him and they, they told me to get a restraining order against him. And um, my eyes were so swollen. I couldn't, when the sheriff came to the door, I thought as long as I, I let him beat me up in the living room and not around the kids that I was protecting my kids. And, um, but I still got failure to protect because I didn't follow through with my restraining order. Wait, hold on. Let me ask a question about that. So you didn't follow through with your restraining order and therefore that seems not to like go back and open up the legal case again, but that seems it's, you know, the story you're describing, it seems like a man, an awful lot of onus on you to, you know, be you as the person struggling, you as the single mom, you, you know, to, to pull it all together at zero responsibility on, on him at all whatsoever. And the idea, the idea that it's, I mean, a whole, in a domestic, in a domestic violence case, we understand that, that the struggle is going back and how many times people go back. And that's just pretty incredible to me that, he comes to beat you up and you lose the kids. How, how is because you opened the door to him? Is that like, if he had tried to break down the door to beat you up, then it would have been him violating, but because you let him in the house. Well, I was supposed to have no contact with him at all. So they, I was sneaking to take the kids with him in my other program. They didn't know all these things. Um, Yeah. And because he wasn't offered services, you know, until he, did something, but he never did anything. So the fact that he knew where I stayed, the fact that I had been communicating with him, it was a part of my case plan because he didn't have one. Part of my case plan to, um, that's how they gave me my kids back was that right, I had right. contact with him. So I had broken all, all the rules, you know, and, and just saying, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing this all by myself and I'm, you know, which I was taking care of my kids, but like I was leaving out the part that I was talking to him and that I was right. kids over on the weekend to go, you know, and I'm like, oh, they're going, we're going to their grandma's house is what I would tell them, not mentioning that he was there. So I had, um, you know, the only, the only way for me to keep my kids were that I got this restraining order. So it was like, I don't know how he, you know, when it all happened, it was like, I don't know how, you know, he found out where I stayed. I, I don't know, you know, but truth is I called him and said, hey, I need you to bring diapers. So in order for one of the things for me to keep my kids was, you know, to get a restraining order and to follow through. So the night that he beat me up, the next day I had to go and do this with all three of my kids. And I was on the bus, you know, and, and by that time my eyes had swollen. So it was like, I heard a knock on the door. And by the time I got up and came to, I guess the sheriff, I guess the sheriff had already walked away. So I missed that contact with the sheriff to follow through with my restraining order. They were coming to, I guess, they were coming to complete part of my restraining order. So I guess I missed that chance, you know, so they said I, I didn't follow through with it. So the next day they came and took all three of my kids. And, um, you know, I, I had one of my daughters for like nine months and I got to have all three of them. So basically for nine months I had them and, you know, he went on to, I remember the police like coming to my house and he was actually walking away and I described everything that he had. He's in all orange for crying out loud. And he's Caucasian. And I'm like, you guys didn't see him coming up the street. You know, they're like, nope, we didn't see him. You know, it's, I felt like he always got a pass, you know, um, the court, you know, they were always transporting him from jail after that point, you know, and um, it was always like, you know, okay, father doesn't have uh, services or anything, but he's the father. So he needs to be here in this court, you know, so I felt like I was always faced with him. So they had took the kids, you know, and again, with him not having services at all, you know, I was always the one I felt like I had to do everything, you know, and it's just like, oh my God, it was so, 
just overwhelmed. Were you using during this time? So what was your, what was your drug abuse like? I mean, to be honest, I can't even imagine going through any of the things that you experienced without using any kind of drugs. The idea that you, to, to be sober through that sounds excruciating, you know, and, and, and it sounds like an extremely difficult thing to get sober during. You didn't mention any drug use during that time. How, was, how were you coping? Yeah, I was still, so again, I wasn't being honest. I would try to fake my, um, I would buy like fake pee. I would, that's how I was passing my test because after the abuse, you know, well, I was, I was like drinking in between, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to have a beer, you know, I'm just going to do this and that, you know, I wasn't using meth, but uh, that's how I was getting through. But it happened so fast, like that nine months went from me leaving my program to get my housing. It was like that. I mean, you know, it, it just, but I was sneaking and, and just trying to beat my test and just trying to, you know, get through to closing my case so I could be back with this man, you know, and um, to have my family complete. And um, so when all that happened with my kids, you know, I took off. Yeah, it was like Meth Valley. I was escorting. I was never in the same town. I was putting myself in crappy situations, you know, having sex for just like the bare, I don't even know. Like, I didn't even know like what you would charge. I don't know. I was just broken. And I was like, dude, I got to cover up this pain. And, um, and, you know, on top of it, I had to survive. I couldn't go stay with my mom because she only had a two bedroom and her and my brother were there. I couldn't go um, stay with my sister because she was just having a baby. Like it was just all these things. So I didn't even try to reach out to my family. Um, and it not once dawned on me to reach out to the support that I had because, you know, it was just like, oh, well, you know, this is, this is what I have to do. So in 2010, I was about 25 then. And, uh, she was pause talks. That baby was pause talks. And, uh, so she got taken from the hospital. I didn't even. What, what did she test positive for? The meth. baby? Meth. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was escorting. And then, you know, I started talking back to the kid's dad, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to make this right. We're going to get our kids back, you know, all this stuff. And I'm going to get our kids back, whatever. Um, maybe the courts will give you another chance. Cause we're having another baby while well, the baby wasn't his. So did he know brought- that? They brought us to court um, thinking they did a DNA test. And that's when we both found out that the baby wasn't his. And I was like, and uh, he was in jail again. They were transporting him from jail. So it was like, okay, you're not going to beat me up. Yeah. So I didn't yeah. care, you know, and um, I was mandated to go to a program, you know, if I wanted to change. And I remember the courts like trying to help me find her dad, but it was like, I couldn't even think of, I couldn't even begin to think of who it was. I didn't even oh. know. And I didn't think like anything was wrong with my behavior, you know, it was just like, oops. But it's like what I was doing to survive. I couldn't even think of the last person or the first person because I was just trying to survive. And, you know, it hurt me. And he's like, well, I'll give her my last name if it makes you feel better. And he's in court writing me all these, you know, and here I am still talking to him. Like we just lost our three kids, you know, and you're doing me a privilege by giving her my last, your last name. Like it just. I was like, okay, you know, just so I can feel like I had something, you know, and if I didn't have the drugs, I had him, you know, he was my second drug of choice. And um, so I didn't, uh, courts couldn't find, you know, it's like a needle in a haystack. Um, I didn't even know where to begin with that. And uh, so he ended up getting out and I ended up getting pregnant by him again when he got out. And that's when I had got um, arrested for check fraud. So I was going to make all this money, you know, I was going to cash all these checks and we're going to have a fresh start and we were going to have a new beginning. And, you know, but I had to do all the dirty work. I ended up getting caught. And uh, 
you know, one of his rule of codes where, you know, you don't turn yourself in. That's not what we do because we're living the street life. You know, you don't turn yourself in. If you're going to be my chick, you know, you're going to have to follow these rules that I live by. And the rules that he lived by were, now that I think about it, it was crazy. There were no rules. You just kind of, you know, and, but I thought, you know, this child, okay, if it would, that child didn't make it because it wasn't yours. So I didn't felt like I needed to have her because no man is going to raise another man's baby. So I gave her up for adoption. So I just felt, you know, like she was born pause talks and, and I don't know who her dad is. How am I going to be able to be of any good to this little girl? And I remember um, mental health was part of my case plan. And so I had to get on this medication. And so when I would go, when I got on this medication, I would go to my visits and it's like, I couldn't feel it blocked me from, I couldn't even cry. Like I couldn't even, I had no emotion. Like I would just sit there and look at her when I had my visits and I was an outpatient and, you know, I was close to getting her back. And, um, cause I was handling everything CPS is telling me to do. It's like, I'm finally on met, uh, medication. And, but I didn't want, I, I, I just couldn't bond with her and the medication allowed me, like my mom would talk to me and I just like, couldn't even, I couldn't even argue with her back. And usually I, I would argue with my mom, especially if I was right, you know, or I thought I was right. Um, but I had no feelings. Um, it like blocked me. And I had my last visit with her. I just told the lady, I said, you know what? I can't do this. And I handed her over and I never looked back. And um, I got on the bus and I went back to him. I'm like, now can we start over? I don't have this baby to come in between us. Thought we can have a fresh start. And uh, when I stopped taking the medication, it's like, what the heck did I do? I actually was feeling again, you know, and I'm like, I just walked out on my child, like whether he was there, like he, it didn't hit me, you know, but by that time I was, I, I had got on that bus and I didn't call my mom or nothing. I was, I had the room all set up for her to come home and I was just like, screw it. I gave her up for adoption. And I remember the foster mom saying, you know, are you sure this is what you want to do? I'm like, I'm sure this is what's best for her. But behind that, I really just wanted to get back to him so I can tell him I'm so sorry and uh, we could start over. And so I gave her up and. I had that, I I got pregnant, my fourth daughter at this time. And Michaela was your fourth daughter, right? Michaela was my third daughter. Mm -hmm. Your third. My son son is um, Don. He was born in 2004. And I had Destiny in 2006. That was my first CPS case. Okay. Okay. Because the three kids that you had first were with the the boyfriend that were taken away from you. Uh Uh-huh. But this... I had one son and two daughters by him. And okay. Then Michaela was my third daughter, but she wasn't by him. So my Got three, it. they are already adopted out. My aunt had already came and adopted them out. And so they were gone. So, so Michaela, she was the fourth pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. That's okay. And then, and then when Michaela was adopted there, you had, you got pregnant, the, the fifth pregnancy with, with the boyfriend. Yeah. So those three, those four kids have the same dad and then Michaela doesn't have the same dad. So, you know, I was like, you know, trying to just, this is going to be it. You know, this is our yeah. child, you know, we're going to do over. it. going to freaking, this is our kid to show everybody that we got this and the abuse and everything just kind of, I got, finally got caught up from being on the run, you know, um, finally got pulled over in a car with someone three o'clock in the morning, um, and they just came out with those facial recognitions. So I try to like lie and give them a fake name, you know, and, and they're like, no, you're Marquisha Smith. Like you're going to jail <laughs> We've been for you, you know? And, um, 
And, you know, we were living in the garage, you know, we were staying at his parents' house. Like we were still in power. Like I, I, none of these were signs to me that, you know, I didn't care. I was going to help get us out. So that check fraud thing, my whole idea was, you know, to cash enough checks. So we're going to be okay. We're going to have a fresh start. Well, and but I was using the whole time still with this pregnancy. So they took her from the hospital also. So, uh, you know, they asked when I was having her, they're like, you know, it's the father around. And I was like literally a mile away from him and he didn't show up at the hospital, even sign the birth certificate. And I was like, how can, how dare you not be here for your daughter? But it's like, how dare him not be here for the rest of his kids? You know, but it didn't, still didn't click to me that that's, you know, I still had this in my head, just whatever. I loved him. You know, one day he was going to love me the way I loved him. And it was then where I was like, you know what? this is it. Um, I told him, you know, my whole history and everything. And then I got into a detox after having Alana and, um, I went to detox and I went to gateway and I actually completed, you know, it was like, I'm not dealing with this guy. And I actually had some success in my life. So I started to think like, okay, I'm better off without him. You know, I got it my confidence. I got it my courage. I'm like, I can do this. I knew with Alana, um, I wasn't going to have any chance of getting her back. I already knew that. Why did you know that you weren't going to get Alana back? Because I already had uh, four kids that I failed to protect. I just kind of learned the system um, yeah. I just learned that, you know, you're not a fit parent. You can't, you're not capable of making the right choices without having this man in your life or having this man. Like I didn't see my downfalls. I didn't see where I needed to, I didn't, I just wasn't grasping on to what my case, I couldn't even do a basic case plan. Like I couldn't even, you know, and let alone if something happened to me, I didn't show them any proof that I can maintain a clean and sober life. Right. You know, I, I, and so I knew that, you know, and I knew the odds were against me and it was then, you know, and I thought like all the programs that I walked out of and all this stuff and I'm like, God, I, I just knew the odds were against me. And, um, you know, I couldn't take care of these four kids. So what made the fifth child? Yeah. I'm just going to hand me this girl. You right, know? right, right. And so I completed my 90 day program. I went to, um, transitional living. Um, I did outpatient, you know, I was building my, 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 I felt myself like smiling again. I felt, and this is all why this guy is not in my life. So I was like, okay, I can do this, you know? And, um, but I was still fighting for my daughter. So it wasn't at that point where I thought I wasn't going to, I thought I was going to get her back, but, um, I went on to Mather, which is like community campus. Um, I get to stay there for a year and, you know, I was working, um, one of my recovery sisters got me a job with her grandmother. And then when I went to that program, I started doing maintenance internships. So I'm like, boom, you know, this is where, this is my new drug working. I have to keep myself busy. I have to stop with all the, cause you know, I wasn't even doing my case plan. So I really had a lot of time on my hands. You know, I was telling them I was doing this stuff, but I wasn't. So they're like, if you're doing all this then how do you have time for this? And it's like, it's, they found out it was all a lie. I was forging signatures to my meetings. Like I was just copying my friend's slip, writing my own name. So it looked like I was doing all these things. And, um, so I got found out, you know, and, um, but then I figured, you know, I'm doing all this. They're going to see that I'm, I'm trying, you know, and, and, and I lost that case. And so I was like, I'm going to appeal it. I'm going to take it to trial. Um, and it was then that was when I went to Mayther, um, 2013. So, you know, I was like, I, I went to trial. I, I mean, I went to court. I lost it. I still returned back to my clean and sober living. I didn't go get loaded. So I was like, I may have a chance here. I started to believe, you know what, something, something is working out, you know, something I had I knew going to get loaded wasn't the option, you know? So and it was cr- crazy because the day I was supposed to go to court, I had all these peers that were supposed to go with me and they were just, they'll start calling me right before court. And they're like, I can't come. I can't come. And I'm like, it's okay, you guys, I can do this. I'm going to go to court and I'm going to come back. I promise. 
So I end up coming back, you know, and they're like, how did it go? And, you know, it's like, I lost him. And they're like, you didn't lose. Like, you know, just let's try to appeal it. And, you know, I had a lot of encouragement and I appealed it. And um, so those two daughters are together, Michaela and Alana. They're together in the same home. So um, they asked, you know, before my adoption was, because my grandma ended up calling the foster mom, Corey, saying, I ended up calling her and saying, hey, Marquisha's having another baby and it's going to get taken. Can you put her with her sister? So my family was like always, you know, in the background, like, I guess trying to help. Yeah. Uh, but I was just so far gone, you know, I, I didn't ever call and tell them thank you. I didn't ever call and say anything. I just felt like that's what you guys are supposed to do because you guys are family. And um, so those two girls are together and I went to trial and I didn't win. And um, but I knew I didn't have to stop there. And I believe Alana, you know, I, I actually looked up her name when I was having her and it was gift from God. And I knew that it was my gift from God, like um, whether I got her back or not, that this is what I needed to do in my life. So I was going to stay clean, you know, just based on it felt good, you know, for once in my life, I didn't have this man in my life. And, you know, I was working two jobs yeah. and my comp, you know, I was just back at, I was up there, you know, and I was of service and I was like the spotlight of the campus. Everyone was like, dude, this girl's working two jobs. You know, she lost her kid and she's lost it. And they were just like blowing my head up is what they were doing. So my ego was like, you pumped, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. So when I graduated, I kind of flew out there with my head all big. <laughs> I was like a hot air balloon, I like to call it, because I didn't, you know, I had a sponsor, you know, I had sponsees. I was just the prime example. So I was doing all these things after, you know, losing this trial and everything. It was like I wanted to look good because I was really hurting inside. So everything people were telling me was making me feel like, you know, you know, you're still a good person. I didn't believe that myself. But had they not been telling me all these things, um, I probably would have been left and gotten loaded. But um so yeah, I, I I left that pro I graduated that program and um I went to stay with my sister. I felt like, you know, I wasn't worthy of having kids. Got dealt the wrong batch, you know. God had a resentment against me. I thought God was punishing me. I thought I was cursed. I thought um I was just having kids and giving away to the system, you know. And um so I told myself, you know, I'm not gonna have any more kids. So I was on birth control, thank God. Uh, <laughs> My grandma always said, get on birth control. And I was like, yeah, grandma, I'm going to get birth control. And I never did. And I always ended up pregnant again. So, you know, they said, don't get into a relationship the first year of your recovery. You know, so I didn't do that. I started to like actually listen. My sponsor was like badass, you know, and, and she was strict. You know, she graduated the same program that I did. So she, I couldn't tell her no lies. I couldn't tell her nothing. It's like she, she knew, you know, and, um, and so, you know, I lived, I was doing my meetings, you know, and I was just like, boom. But, you know, also I, I didn't have a case plan. So it was like, hmm. Okay, I'm gonna do this, you know, I'm gonna do that, and I'll just have a drink. That's what I told myself, or I'll just smoke weed. And uh, as long as it's not methamphetamine, as long as I'm not smoking a pipe, I was okay. So, you know, for a little while, I just I started to like slack on my meetings before I knew it. Like, I was drinking, it was like, oh, okay, like I have a drink with the guys at work, you know, nobody's gonna know. You know, we're working like out in Wilton, we're working like far, we're working like. El Dorado Hills. So I didn't know anybody out there. So no one's going to see me. And I just thought I wasn't going to get caught, you know, and I ended up just like kind of telling on myself and people knew I wasn't doing my, I wasn't being the stand-up girl that I was when I was in this program. You know, it's like, where's Marquisha go? You know, I just like disappear, you know, in the little hot air balloon. I was just like, I was just gone, you know, and I disconnected myself from my support group is what I did. You know, they continue to call. And so I was like, screw these calls. I'm going to block you guys because you guys are interrupting my happiness. And so I don't know, maybe they were still calling, but I wouldn't know because I blocked them. And um, 
you know, so I, I, I know at that point in time, you know, I was isolating myself from my support. Um, my support was always there. I always had them on Facebook, but, you know, I would just like unfollow them or they, so they couldn't see, you know, <laughs> I was just thinking I was being savvy, you know, just like, oh, you can't see my page or I'm going to delete you because mm-hmm. if you're watching me, then you're going to go tell my support, you know, and nobody knew where I stayed, you know, I make sure to not because I had a reservation. I knew once I left that program, I didn't know when I was going to pick up and I didn't know, I didn't know exactly when. And so, I mean, I didn't even know if it was, yeah. So I didn't even know, you know, I knew I just wasn't going to use math. That was my plan. You know, I'm going to have a margarita. I'm going to freaking go and enjoy myself, you know, and I'm going to go to Chili's and I already, I already had it planned out where I was going to go and have these freaking Hot girl summer. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to do this because I deserve it. You know, don't you know, I just lost all five of my kids within a short time span, you know, I just lost trial, which I fought hard for. And nobody's going to tell me that I can't have a drink because drinking wasn't my problem. Right. And um, that's how I kind of got through a lot of the stuff, you know, and, and I, I think like, and I don't even know if it was, how that I'm thinking about it because it's like, I, I was still claiming my clean time when I probably shouldn't have been. So I think I was like at three and a half years, but because I didn't use meth. And then I learned that all drugs, you know, you can't, <laughs> Right. So I claimed that time and my sponsor's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do it because these were not my drugs of choice. And um, so, yeah, I would try to separate my my alcohol use from my meth use. So I would count five years of not doing meth and three years of not, you know, so I tried so hard to separate it. And she's like, that's going to be exhausting. You can't do that. It's just one, you know. So I tried that for a long time. So it was actually five years of not doing meth. And then when I left that program, that's when I picked up. I was trimming weed. So I was like, I was getting all this money, you know, and, I, and as long as I didn't pick up dope, I didn't care. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Ashley Joe, producer of The Courage to Change. And I wanted to chime in and let you know about our new mobile app, Lion Rock Life. It is now available for download on your phone or tablet from the App Store or the Google Play Store. So here's the download on the app. The app is designed to streamline your online recovery experience, allowing you to view live meetings in progress, join meetings quickly, and build stronger connections in recovery. So whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're in recovery for something other than drugs or alcohol, the Lion Rock Life mobile app has a space for you. On the app, you'll find alternative recovery meetings and traditional meeting offerings. We have everything from recovery fellowship to community workshops, LGBTQIA+, women's meetings, men's meetings, 12-step meetings, and more. With over 75 meetings on our weekly schedule, you'll find a meeting that meets your individual needs. And with the app, you can personalize your recovery experience, join with privacy in mind, and recover with the support of an incredible community. Join us and find inspiration for a lifetime of recovery by downloading the Lion Rock Life mobile app today. If you have questions or need help, simply visit lionrock.life slash mobile dash app. Thanks. So Markeisha, when you got, you, you ended up meeting your husband and finding a relationship or find your now husband and finding a relationship and finding recovery. Can you walk me through how 
you got, you finally got to, you know, a, a good relationship and, and where you are today? Yeah. So it wasn't always good, but <laughs> um, we kind of, you know, um, met and again, he was just getting out of jail and I was like, oh my God, it was like, no, his mom and my mom are best friends. And um, so I was like, no, I'm not meeting. Enough. No, I cannot deal with someone who's just getting out of jail. You know, so I, I ran and ran from this relationship. And um, so the guy that I had the open relationship with, you know, he was just like, really crappy to me. And then, so Dwayne is his name, my husband, but he was just always there. You know, every time something happened with me and this guy, he was always there. And I'm like, okay, God, like, what are you trying to show me? Like, you know, why does this guy is always here when I like had a black eye, when this guy drugged me with my own car, like all this stuff was happening. So, you know, he was always there and he always like looked me in my eyes, you know, and I was like, why are you looking at my eye? It was just weird. You know, someone that just try to you know, and he's like, cause I mean what I say, you know, and, and, and I was just like, okay, whatever. Like I'm screwed up. Like you don't want me, trust me. You know, I've lost my kids, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm not capable of being like a good, you know, I just, I didn't believe in myself at all. Like I, I just kind of was really down on myself and, you know, and I'm like, and you're just getting out of jail. Like there's no way this is going to work. I'm not doing this again. And, um, and, you know, so we, we start talking, I was like, you know, let's just take it day by day, you know, and then that day by day just turned into, we were together. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck, you know? And, um, you know, we just kind of, um, so we end up getting, uh, we end up starting getting loaded together and, uh, you know, everything that we had talked about in the beginning was like, you know, his fear was, you know, being with a woman that he, he didn't want a relationship, a relationship to with someone that he would get high with or whatever, you know? And so all these things start to happen, you know, and. Um, I got pregnant with my daughter and, um, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't screw this up. You know, that's all I kept telling myself was I can't, okay. God's given me, I, I took my birth control out, mind you. So, um, I, I thought in my head, you know, God has given me another opportunity to be a mom, you know, and I can't screw this up. And, you know, which means I had to change a lot of things and, you know, and I was, I was getting loaded, you know, before I got pregnant with her and I was just thinking how hard it was going to be to stop, you know, and it, could I do this for this child? Um, did I have it in me to really just, if this was my last chance, I better have freaking done something right. So, you know, I mustered up that courage, you know, and um, so she was in post talks and I got to leave home with her from the hospital. And it was like the freeing feeling of, you know, this is my baby. I'm going to be a good mom to her. I had a lot of support with her. I had a lot of, um, you know, family. I, I, I just, everything seemed perfect, you know, and, um, and it was perfect, you know, and I, it's just me. I was still like, oh, well, I'm just going to go back to doing what I want to do after I have her. You know, I, I, I escaped the hospital thing. I, I'm clear, you know, right. I don't have CPS. I don't have, you know, so in my head, this is what I'm, you know, in our relationship, um, you know, for two years of her life, I was her mom, you know, I was, and I owned that, you know, I was, no one told me I had to do this and that. I just knew I had to be her mom. And so for the first two years of her life, um, you know, and then things started, you know, of course I picked up using after that. Um, and me and my husband just had like a bad patch, you know, of course, when you're using, that's what happens. Um, you know, he was working and I'm like, you know, I don't want you to lose your job. You know, he got a really good job doing tile, you know, and I'm like, you can't, you know, and I, I, I think it was then that I started to realize that the street life was taking over for him. And, you know, he started to be late to work and he started to, you know, and I'm still like, oh my God, just come home, you know? And he's like, well, I got to make one more run, you know, and that one more run turned into whatever. And, um, you know, and he felt like, you know, I was nagging at him and I was like, well, I love you, you know? And I think in any relationship, it's not good. Like you don't see, you know, it's just, um, so he ended up losing that job, you know, and it was just like full blown, you know, and, um, <clears throat> things that got really bad with us, you know, and then he had stepped out and well, he left the house and, you know, he had another, 
I don't even know if it was a relationship. I don't know what it was, but, you know, he was seeing someone else and, you know, and I was just so hurt, you know, and I was just like, and I found out I was pregnant and I had miscarried before that. And I was just like, see, you did all this, you know, I miscarried this child. It's like, really like, were you even ready for that? Um, so I took that as a sign, you know, as God, like you need to change some stuff, you know? And, um, so then, uh, you know, getting pregnant with my son and I was still, you know, using, and then, but once I found out, I didn't know how far along pregnant I was. So um, when I went to the hospital, they're like, you're six months. And I'm like, what? You know? And, uh, yeah. And I'm like, cause my stomach was still small. And I'm like, I thought I was like three or four months, you know? And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, and he had went to jail by this time. And I was, you know, busy telling him like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm not using, you know, and all this. He ended up getting caught like in I guess, January, 2020 or something like that. So, you know, he ended up going to jail and, um, I found out I was pregnant and uh, I was like, okay, I have to stop. So when I went to stop, um, so I was detoxing, obviously, and I had my son here at home in the bathroom, scariest thing ever. But I, I, I remember being at the store and, you know, and I was like, I just had left the hospital. I wasn't dilated anything, you know, and they're like, you got to stop. So I was like, okay, I have to stop. Like, so I had him at seven and a half months. You had him while you were detoxing? Yeah. I had my son early and... He was in the NICU for a month and a half. When he was about to get released from the hospital, um, they came and took my daughter. And um, they came and took her. And, you know, she was supposed to stay in the house. But, you know, truth is, I wasn't giving clean tests. It's like I was telling them that I was clean, but I was still giving dirty tests. So I think all my tests caught up to me and they seen they're all dirty. So they had to come and take her. And which shown that, you know, um, not only was I using while I was pregnant, I was using around my daughter, you know, and I knew that, you know, I didn't, I didn't need for anybody to tell me, I knew what I was doing behind closed doors. And um, so, you know, I was very rude to the social worker, you know, and you lied, you said you wouldn't come and take my daughter. And so they're like, well, you need to get out of the house. If they're returned to anybody, you can't be there. And so I went into my 90 day program, May 4th, I got clean May 12th. So I accidentally fell asleep and I woke up and my recovery specialist had a bed for me. So I went in on May 14th. And um, I went to one of the same programs that I went to uh, when I was pregnant and they let me go early. So I ended up going back to that same program. And, um, you know, I knew the people there and I thought I was just going to walk all over the program, you know, but COVID was just starting. So I remember going to court and, you know, them telling me I had to stay clean and they were giving me a chance to do outpatient and I just, I wasn't staying clean. And, um, and so I was forced to go leave my home and go into a 90 day program, which was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, as I was doing the steps, you know, it was just like, okay, you know, I wasn't being honest, you know, and I, I told my social worker, I'm like, look, I, I wasn't being honest. Like I was really using the whole time I told him I wasn't. And, uh, and, you know, we didn't have any contact with anybody because of COVID. And, um, so everything was kind of shut down. I remember doing all my zoom, my visits with my kids. So he had gotten out of jail and we had visitation, but I had to do everything over zoom. So he was there visiting the kids and I was in this program. You know, I was a little resentful because I'm like, why do you get, you know, and all this stuff? Why can't I leave, you know, and everything? And, um, you know, but I just, I just got through it, you know, and um, I got to make amends, you know, to, because I was on that step with my sponsor, you know, and I, and I just apologized to the staff members. I'm like, look, I'm so sorry for giving you guys a hard time. And, you know, I remember going in the office and it was my last time being in trouble. And she said, if you get in trouble one more time, you're out of here. I'm going to help you pack your stuff and you're going to be out. And, um, and I just remember breaking down to her and that was the program manager. And I said, I'm tired of being on this side of the table. I'm so tired. Like I'm tired of seeing the same people and they're still like, recovery is great. And I'm like, whatever, you know? And um, 
she's like, you know, you, you're capable of doing this. You just got to, no matter what, just don't pick up. You just got to do the do, you know? And so I made it a point, you know, I was like, I'm going to complete this program. And I did. And so um, I was told that I had to go to Lion Rock and that was part of my requirements. So this is my courage to change, I guess. I had to do, what was it, 90 and 90, you know, I think I did well beyond 90 and 90. I just became committed. Um, I just became, you know, so I just start getting in, you know, with Wine Rock, it's just like, okay, you know, I start to like the classes, I start to like the people, you know, and you know, I remember all these people just being so supportive, like, wow, we can't believe you've been through all this stuff. And, but I didn't take them saying that as ego. I didn't let it go to my head. I didn't let it, you know, I try to keep that out of it this time. Like, you know what, no matter what these people say or do, that's not what you need to to stay. This is not why you need this to stay clean, you know? So I just like, was like, okay, you know, I kind of was just like, you know, I cried to these people and I, I never did that. I never let anybody in. And that was a difference from my other recovery programs. You know, I was so busy trying to shelter my feelings and not let anyone in. You know, I was like, I'm going to let these people like, let their words of encouragement, like help me, you know, instead of letting it get to my head. And, um, so, you know, I continued to do Lion Rock. Um, and my kids came home November 6th. Uh, my case was closed. And, you know, I knew then it was just like, I was checking in with my program that I graduated from, you know, I'm like, Hey guys, I got six months. Hey guys, I got, you know, and it, it just felt good, you know? And I was like, okay, like I'm going to make it this time. And, and, and actually when I knew I wasn't going to make it, when I was going to make it. Um, so all this EDD fraud stuff was going on and, you know, I'm always up for a come up. And when everybody was doing it, I'm like, I'm not doing that. You know? And I was like, Hmm this might just be my time that I'm going to stay clean and I'm not going to do any stuff that's going to get me in trouble or, you know, get caught up in, in all this stuff. And I was like, gosh, and I told my husband, I said, I think I'm going to make it this time because I actually don't want to scam when I can scam when I have. Right, right. No, <laughs> and, it's know, huge. It was like something was changing, you know, and it was just like, oh my God, you know, and, and so, you know, and he had to also do this. He didn't have to do it, but, you know, he had started while he was in jail doing parenting and, you know, and he was like, he should let me just show you that, you know, I messed up, you know, that I'm sorry that, you know, I want to be a better father to my kids and I want to be, you know, I'm sorry that I left you and the kids. I'm sorry that you had to have my son and like he didn't even get to sign the birth certificate. So I had no idea how he was feeling, you know, when he got out and we both just, I just worried about my recovery and he worried about his, you know, and for the first time I was doing it with someone. So it felt weird. It felt different. You know, all the weight wasn't on me. I didn't have to do this alone. I felt just like I'm going to make it this time because I have the other person doing their part. So I don't feel like I have to do all these things. You know, I did have a time frame on everything, but it just didn't feel so heavy this time. It didn't feel like I, I was holding a burden for two people. And, uh, you know, he was doing just as much as I was. He was in line rock, but he would never speak, you know, but, um, you know, so he's just like, oh, I got my codes. And I remember him being, you know, staying on this. I got my codes for the week, but I did more. And I was still in my program, you know, and I'm like, what codes? Like, what are you talking? He's like, you'll figure it out when you get out, you know? So as I start getting out, it's like, then I start wanting to get more codes than him, you know? <laughs> So I got out, I'm like, because he started working, you know, and then I was working, but I'm like, I still got my, so he came like, you know, just kind of like a fun thing. How many codes did you get? You know, how many, you know, so my case ended up closing and um, I completed outpatient. Um, I was a part of, uh, I had to do drug court and I did aftercare, you know, because I wanted to show them that I really wanted it this time. I wanted to show them that, you know, this was something they weren't telling me to do. This is something that I wanted to do. So I knew that this was just my chance. To become the best person that I can be, not for CPS. I didn't have anything to prove to CPS. I actually wanted it. I actually liked the words that were coming out of my mouth. I actually liked participating in groups. I actually liked doing that extra meeting, even when I didn't have to. So, um, you know, I, I 
by that time completed my steps and, you know, I'd been working and I was pregnant with cash the whole time. So yeah, so I was just like second guessing myself if I can do this, you know, I didn't have my kids back. The case was closed. I thought of how CPS would look at me, you know, she's having another kid. Oh, you know, oh, here she is. And, you know, and a part of my, um, what I discovered was, you know, I was having these replacement babies because, um, I had lost my kids. So I kept trying to have kids to like fill a void. And I kept trying to, you know, and, and I kept telling myself, this is my husband's like, this is not what this is, Keisha. Like you can do this clean. And I'm like, <sighs> I'm like fighting and fighting. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to tell my mom and my mother-in-law and they're all excited. And I'm like, what? You know? So I was just like, okay, I'm going with it. So, you know, needless to say, like I completed all this stuff while I was pregnant, uh, while my kids were gone and then I got my kids back and, and, you know, it's like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And um, the foster parents that had my kids, um, I still have a relationship with them. So they've been a big part of my support. You know, when I was having cash, uh, they watched the kids, you know, they're my childcare providers today. Um, You know, um, I I got to be a part of a graduation ceremony uh, for the drug court that I graduated. I was a guest speaker there. And I got to, you know, speak on the behalf of like the services, if they work or not, you know, and just give my experience about that or my opinion. And, you know, I, I think that everything works when you give it a chance. You know, I think everything works when you at least try, you know, and I and I just realized I wasn't trying back then, you know, because I was too focused on my hurt and my pain. And I just wasn't looking at the brighter side of anything, you know, I was in my, my pity pot. And, um, you know, I got to just change my thinking and um, listen to my sponsor, you know, and um, be willing to do something different. Definitely. Um, you know, I knew what I had to do. And, and I just like, just was my own cheerleader. Like you can do this, you know, you can, nobody needs to tell me what I need to do. I did it. And, um, and so those three kids that uh, my first three kids that got adopted out, so I hadn't seen them in seven years. And I um, actually, 4th of July, I went, I got to go up there and spend a week with them. I can't tell you how grateful I am and how blessed I am to be a part of this whole process. Like without recovery, like I would have gotten that opportunity. And it was a lot of healing. That trip was like everything. Like, you know, we just loved on each other and, you know, I got to make amends to them. <laughs> I think that was one of my best amends ever that I've got to make was to my kids. And, you know, they, I hear them say all the time that most of it's living amends, but to make that to them, to just let them know I was there. And I just, I was young and I did not know just for them to hear that out of my mouth. Yeah. You know, I was hurting. I didn't know that, that all this stuff of me not doing would hurt you guys. I didn't know that it would have you guys miles and miles away. I had no idea, you know, and my aunt is such a great supporter. She's, she's, you know, she has my kids and, uh, you know, she treats them as if they're her own, you know, despite her adopting them and everything, they know who I am. Um, and she's, she's just doing what I, she's doing for them what I couldn't do at that time, you know, and still today, you know, um, she embraces me like on everything. Um, I didn't have a good relationship with my sister back then because I was just trying to, you know, my sister's here with me, like helping me. Cause I start to allow a lot of people to help me. I start to listen, you know, like, okay, well, maybe their suggestion is not so wrong. You know, maybe they're not, you know, and um, so I'm allowing people to come into my life and 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 just listen to their opinion. You know, not all of the opinions are right, but you know, <laughs> I, I know which ones to listen to. And when I, when they, even if they go sour or left, you know, I still say at least they tried, um, you know, and um, what can I say? Recovery has been amazing. Um, I got to me and my husband then got to be guest speakers as a couple for drug court. We're alumni um, there. So, you know, I, I truly believe my courage to change was just giving this my all and stick. It's so much easier to stay than to be like, oh, I'm coming back again, you know, or having that shame and guilt. And um, 
So my counselor who was at my program, she is now my sponsor. So I'm redoing my steps. <laughs> and, um, you know, I know that it doesn't stop here. You know, I know that I have to keep, I know that this is a lifelong process. I know that it's just the beginning of like this whole new life that I've got to experience. Um, I no longer, you know, when, when fear comes up and when, you know, I know I have faith today. I know I have a higher power. I know there's so many uh, classes that Lion Rock, Lion Rock offers, you know, meditation. There's so many other things. Like I have options today, you know, it's no longer like, oh, I'm just in this one road band, you know. Um, I know today I have options. I know that um, using or drinking or doing anything like that, it's not going to fix anything. You know, it's probably going to make things 10 times worse. And um, so, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't even know what else to say. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it's It's, you have an incredible story. And as a mother, I can't even begin to imagine all of the things that you've been through. And I'm just really grateful that I got sober before I had my kids, you know, because I can't imagine trying to battle what I found to be an incredible battle while also having the complication of my kids. I mean, I, I just, I would have lost them too. And, um, you know, I just can't imagine what that's like. And, and I think that that's the gift of recovery is it comes to us in different stages and your story has already been able to help people in drug court and it'll continue to help people. So, you know, you get to support other people through this process. And I love that your foster, the foster family is still involved and and that's such a happy ending to have them still as part of the support group. So that's really, really cool. That makes me happy to hear. Yeah. And I got the opportunity to reach out to the foster mom that has my other two kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I called her before my trip and I, I said, Hey, this is Markeisha. She didn't answer. And I was like, Oh my God, she freaking hates me. And she's like, Oh my God, so glad to hear from you. And I just was like, you know, I was going on my trip and wanted to know, you know, if we can have content. She goes, well, the girls really don't know their story. She hasn't completely. And I was okay with that. I was able yeah. to be like, thank you you know, for just responding. And she's like, you know, I'm happy you're doing good and everything. And, you know, on one of my times of checking in with my old recovery program, you know, when I got a year, you know, I called and just told him, I got a year. Thank you guys. You know, and then yeah. like, you want to come work here? So I work at um, the recovery home that um, I graduated from. And, um, you know, this, this is a great life that I'm living. And I know that, you know, it could all be taken away if I stop doing what I need to do for myself. You know, I put my recovery first. Like today I got to sign my daughter up for school. Yay. Such an amazing thing because I've never got to take any of my kids to school. Yeah. I never even made it that far. So that was a big accomplishment for me today. I get to take them to the doctor's appointments. I get to be present in their lives. And uh, I can't thank the community that I have for just being there. Like you guys have seen my ugly tears. You guys have seen my... <laughs> <laughs> waking up like I'm in my meetings, you know, but you guys accept me for who I am. And um, it feels good to be a part of something bigger than me. It feels good to be a part of just, I'm in the middle of the herd, you know, and uh, I always say in my meetings, you know, my name is Markeisha. I'm an addict or alcoholic and I belong here. because so I know today this is where I belong and uh, I don't try to fight it. I don't try to go against it. You know, I didn't ask to be born an addict. I didn't ask to, um, it truly wasn't my intentions to um, have my kids not with me. Um, but I think God just had a bigger plan for me. You know, I just didn't know what I know now. And, and even what I know now, is still not enough to know. <laughs> I still say I know nothing, um, but, you know, I'm still learning. And, and I know that this is a process. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful that I've got to face some fears. You know, I don't think I've overcome any of them. I think I just was able to face them. 
they're never going to go away, but I know how to deal with them when they, when they appear, you know, when they come in my life. So I'll never say that I'm cured or recovered. You know, I'm just learning to live a new life that I never was able to live. And, and it got me here to where I'm at today. So <laughs> thank you guys. It's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm congratulations, super happy for you. And, you know, your story is really inspirational. I'm just grateful that you have the opportunity to share it with people and just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.